okay oh hello how are you good thanks how are you i'm so excited to be here oh my god i've just been cooking on a live vegan show so forgive me i've been like in this manic status all day but so excited to be here well manic status is a perfect vibe to be in for this show you know (laughs) (laughs) i i've heard many of these shows i am obsessed i've listened to the tammy brown interview 150 times i listened to lady bunny 150 times um yes i enjoy manic too <laughs> oh fantastic well that's good so that's the uh, taste of the, of the flavor rather that we're going to get on this episode which is good and you know because we're doing audio only uh, i'm actually taping this in a very unorthodox manner for myself my mickey mouse sweatshirt but i kind of like this it's a little chilly in la today of course chilly in la as compared to england which is where you are is not entirely a reasonable thing to say i think so you're back in america now yeah i've actually been here for since i so i came home march 2020 or yeah like march 1st 2020 about a week before the whole shutdown yeah because i was laid up sick thinking that Oh, I can't get on a plane because I'll catch COVID, only realizing months later that just because I couldn't, just because I still was able to smell and taste didn't mean I didn't have COVID. And then as we learned more about all the different ways that it can affect your body, turned out I had COVID because I had all the other lovely uh, symptoms like night sweats, you know, dizziness, uh, fatigue, all that stuff. I had COVID last year. It was such a disaster. It was just before my sister was about to get married and my whole family got COVID. Oh, no. Um, and it just was terrible because I had an eye injury, which is like, oh, we actually did the podcast now. Are we just starting straight away. Yeah, I was recording the whole thing. And then I was going to say in a minute, when I did your <laughs> classic delayed introduction, I was going to find out if make sure that everything <laughs> we talked about so far was okay to include. Because, you know, it's nice when you immediately have a rapport with someone when you can't even see them. Absolutely. Well, I'm happy to go ahead with anything. I talk nonsense all the time, so include everything you want. Okay, terrific. Oh my God, no. My um, I had this like crazy career on social media when I started, and I did all of the YouTube things before it was even possible to do it. And yeah. I was starting as a child, really. And when I began to be known as the makeup artist and the go-to makeup artist for the Drag Race Girls from the early season, yeah. I was supported by Matthew Anderson. And my whole thing was doing all this incredible transformative photo real makeup work and in 2000 and oh god my years get confused now but one of the years it was the drag race ambassador party in london yeah and it was what the vivian won before they did a natural tv show here and at the after show and someone spiked my drink and i actually got quite badly assaulted afterwards oh my Um, god yeah, it was terrible. I was with the Vilbergs, who I'm absolutely a huge fan of, and I was trying to speak to a couple of people about some some ridiculous posts that were made about me online. Yeah. And whilst I was in this discussion, so I used to do this ridiculous thing with um, my go-to drink was Sambuca in a lemonade, and I'd always get like a shot of the white Sambuca and pour it in the lemonade and watch it go cloudy. Ah. And whilst I was getting my shot, someone put something in my lemonade, 
And it just completely made me black out. And I got uh, assaulted as a result of being in that state and woke up in hospital an hour and a half later with a laceration in my eye. Jesus. So my career on social media literally had to stop because I, I had literal blindness in my left eye. Oh, my God. So it was just extraordinary. So all of my stuff, um, I had to kind of like repivot to do like like instead of being able to do makeup or being able to film or traveling i was doing all the drag cons when they started i was working yeah. with all the queens doing their makeup for magazines i literally had to stop everything and i had to really pivot and find a new direction to what i wanted to do yeah um but when i have covid covid it flared up the eye injury for the first time since 2017 wow. i've been pretty much back to normal since 2017 but when I got the COVID, it just effed up my my vision completely. I had this like pickaxe feeling. It was like if if my eyes moved without my face physically turning, it would be like a pickaxe shock to my eyeballs. Yeah, that my prescription has changed. Wow. So it's everything about um COVID scares me because it's so unpredictable and people have got such varied um symptoms from it but anyway there's my backstory and my covid story <laughs> well and it's a lot to unpack and you have so much to unpack at such a young age as well which is one of the many many exciting and inspiring things about you not least because of your very collaborative attitude towards others as is noted throughout your videos and talking about how there's space for everyone oh thank you that's so important like i i grew up well my first channel thing when i was like 16 was a channel called five awesome grannies with a t and this was like early social media when it was square when it wasn't even widescreen <laughs> it was a, it was like every day of the week there would be another trans person that took and um, that day and we discussed topical stuff so this is me at 16 trying to weigh in on who was that crazy southern woman the the one that got in on a on the politician woman with the glasses oh. southern from back in the day yeah oh palin. palin yeah 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 so all the american girls were talking about sarah palin to me 16 not really being that clued up in american politics at the time and i'd be throwing my two cents in so yeah that's what that's how i started on social media it was all about collaboration and and finding a space to share things and it's how everyone grew it was Fantastic. I, that's how I, that's my work ethic. I always love working with people. <laughs> well, I think that's a really key thing to impart to people too, because too often, especially in the queer spaces, as you note in the same videos, I think, uh, that I'm referring to, people uh, rope their areas off and then they're like, well, this is mine. This is my little corner of the thing, which both loses the uh, grand scope of what they can do and just creates a very unpleasant atmosphere. It's kind of like the worst club promoters in the world or something squaring off. Oh my God, it is so territorial. And it, I, I think it's because the majority of people that are part of the um, the creative LGBT scene as of today yeah. are cisgendered men. And there's this sort of masculinity that's imposed on what was kind of a balanced scene before. Because when there was like drag queens that and trans people that were like, and it wasn't commonplace like it is today after the drag race kind of phenomenon started. Like I was raised by drag queens from from a school age. So I was around before there was a drag race, before there was access to facilitate your looks with all the wigs and the makeup and stuff. And we were fringe in the gay culture. The gay, I was always treated like an outsider or an accessory when I was in gay um, zones. And I was I always felt that. Um, and I think now that the gay people have now adopted a lot of the the 
characteristics of the sort of fringe people. Yeah. It's brought in that sort of insecurity and that sort of male hierarchical thing. Yeah. Because I was fascinated because so many of the girls that I work with as, as a makeup artist or grew up watching my YouTube videos told me in person that I was the first person to be their inspo when it came to learning makeup because there wasn't any makeup tutorials from someone like me at the time that I was the first to do a lot of it. But they won't say it publicly because they don't want to admit their references. <laughs> yeah. Which is always fascinating to me because I'm like, what do you think? I always admit to my references. When I saw Matthew Anderson and Nizaldi, they were the people that inspired me or Kabuki and all these incredible people from the Black Lips troupe. Like, right. I, I was always like so clued up. Like, Pete Burns was my inspirer. I, I was obsessed with Pete Burns. So I, I don't think it makes you look weak to say who you're inspired by. But I think a lot of cisgendered men do think it's it's like they they claim their space and they won't share how they got there <laughs> no I, I i couldn't agree with you more and uh especially when times are tight economically people just seem to show their fangs a little bit more as well and actually before we continue i have to just grab my vape i'm sorry i'm horribly addicted to nicotine and that's just how professional <laughs> i like to be but uh that's okay would you mind running a, a voice recorder on your on your phone unless you're talking on your phone but if you have another backup mic I can sync them up, and then that way we don't have any of the transmission stuff on it. It sounds okay, but it, but you have such a lovely voice as well that I would like it to be as well represented uh, as possible. You. You're welcome. I'll be right thank back. You. What do you remember about the first inspirations or elements of um, a feeling that you wanted to get into the YouTube world, the social media uh, influencing, if you will? Uh, I know that sometimes mm -hmm. people have a strange connotation of that but that's what it is and the education process that you've brought to the table um it well that i think that there is a bit of missing history in digital media because i didn't start on social media that was paid when i actually joined social media i was 13 14 yeah and i built an audience on myspace which was the scene kid generation which happened before um youtube had an accessible partnership scheme where you got where you actually got your adsense so i didn't actually have any ambitions and i was scouted as a model because i was on myspace i was scouted by no different days confused magazine and i grew up in a village in the middle brighton everyone assumes brighton is this liberal thing and it used to be referred to as the gay capital of england which it was because the pride ceremony here is so elaborate it's ridiculous there's, there's hundreds and thousands of people come here for the pride but I grew up in a village and my experience was not a typical Brian experience. Like my maternal grandparents were very religious. So we grew up essentially as part of a church. I lived in a church and I did not have the experience of being in this sort of like hippy dippy thing. I was, it was the absolute opposite. So, um, I went on to social media purely to find people outside the little village between a hill. I literally lived where it's called the Devil's Dyke and it's basically um, the South Downs, which is like billowing hills all around. Mm -hmm. I live in like a pocket that's surrounded by hills. It's not anything like the main city, which is like London's little sister. So I wanted to find people that were like me and I wanted to connect with people that were... Um, playing with their androgyny because I naturally looked androgyny. My body was growing in an androgynous way. I didn't go to a doctor and seek out hormones. I actually started to look more feminine completely naturally. I didn't develop secondary sexual characteristics like Adam's apple or different skin texture or dark hair. I looked like a, like a very effeminate tall 
person, but it was indistinct. And I just wanted to speak to other people like me and ask them what they were yeah. doing. And it, there was a lot of like confusion on the way. Like I remember, cause there's people like Joe Black, who's I think you've had on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, he was put on the MySpace scene back in the day and we were familiar. And I used to speak a lot to his boyfriend and I wanted to become friends with people like that because I wanted to talk to them and feel some similarity or find out what they were going through. And they were more in the cis gay space, even though they're creative with their makeup, it wasn't the same experience. And I think there was a lot of that because I was this hot new thing that everyone was like intrigued by all these like older gay guys would come down from London and come and meet me. And um, I became very good friends with Paul Wellis on Nat and Nat kind of like took me under his wing and we, we, we weren't like dating properly, but we kind of had this like small thing at the time. Yeah. And it was, I was almost like naive to it because I wanted to be friends with people to learn about me. I didn't want to go into things to, I, I had no interest. I was almost asexual. So it wasn't, a, I was going at things at a completely different angle and I just wanted to be creative. And then I stumbled upon a couple of people that were actually more to the trans spectrum than androgynous boys. And we just connected so strongly. And what I wanted to do is initially learn how to do a runway walk because I was invited to do Fashion Week when I was 16. So I got my friend to film me. And when we were filming, he then continued filming me walking down the car park. And I just kept on saying all this nonsense. So they put that on the internet. And then from that, I, I, it's very confusing sometimes because this is pre-transition. So if I get the pronouns wrong, it's just because I'm thinking back in that time, but they are a she now. She filmed me um, with this commentary and it went viral. So because it went viral, we just got drunk on these things called Lambrini, which is really cheap wine. It was like three quid when I was like 16. <laughs> <laughs> and we started to join this channel called Five Awesome Trans. And then from that channel, it was just organic. It, it, there was no ambition. In fact, I was told by a modeling agency when I was 16, if I put it on the, if I put my stuff on the internet, they wouldn't work with me. So everything that I went through was almost like it, it wasn't a plan. It was something that happened. Like I would never in my life ever, no one would ever refer to me as Joseph. All my family called me Joe or Jojo, but because I was booked on a photo shoot and when I got to the photo shoot, they thought I was a cis woman and I was so mortified as like a child that they got it wrong and I yeah. was so embarrassed that I said, I'm going to call myself Joseph so they don't get that confusion again. So everything was kind of like, you throw these darts at me and then I'm going to dodge them like the bullets in the Matrix. It was never <laughs> planned out. And then when it was like monetizable, I wanted to, I didn't want to do YouTube. I wanted to be behind the scenes, but uh -huh. I fell out with my friend and when I fell out with my friend, um, they kind of put this sort of narrative on social media that they were the creative person when it wasn't that they, they were not. <laughs> right. Now we can see it. Now I can see it. Now everyone sees my work. They can all get the tea. But at, And it was purely because I was like, no, 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 no. You're not going to take credit for what I've done. You take credit for what you're brilliant at and all the brilliant things you can do. But I'm good at my creative stuff and it's my signature. It's the way I express my soul to the world. It's not yeah monetizable and it's like there's no ambition to be rich and famous from what i do and there never has been i right. i completely and actually stumbled in things like when i won the eugen competition which was um simon cow initially set up this contest to be the online version of america's got talent and he brought in judges so that he had no involvement with the choice of winner but they were contractually bound to make the makeup artist the winner so i entered as a hungover, I got ready, hungover, and filmed it. I did my traditional kind of boy-to-girl transformation thing. Yeah. Sent it in amongst 60 other 
the 60,000 other people that submitted to this um, particular category, one out of 12, and they brought in the, the bloggers Pixie Woo, who were the big British bloggers. They chose me as the winner because they were super fans of my work from before, and I was contractually bound to win the entire contest, which involved a cash prize bigger than winning Drag Race. So they were, I didn't even mean to win the bloody contest that, that people know me for. It was completely by mistake. And I, I was just so like horrified that it happened that I kind of didn't realize that they were being transphobic by not announcing me as a winner. It was basically set up by Psycho, which is the company that Simon Cow owns. It was the first version of um, digital talent. So at the time, Vine was a very big thing. There was also singing online, which was huge. There was also makeup, which was a category that was huge. And from what I gather, um, 19, which is Simon Fuller's company, was going to be doing a digital version of um, American Idol. Gotcha. So they kind of stole the idea from Simon Fuller, which is what I, I understand happens quite a lot between um, Simon Cowell and Simon Fuller, because they used to work together on the pop idols and so on. Hold for just one second. Pardon me. I'm sorry. Hello? Okay, thank you. I'm sorry. My medication just arrived. <laughs> I promise I won't keep interrupting. I- oh, that's okay. That's okay. That's thanks. okay. Go okay, get thanks, it. Okay, thanks, babe. Back, and uh, shouldn't be any more interruptions, <laughs> and I just got my prep, my... Uh, uh, Adderall, Xanax, all the stuff that you need to move through this world <laughs> in a strong, confident position. But anyway, you were saying uh, the Simon Fuller company got a bit jacked on yes. this thing. That's right. Um, <laughs> the, so, so Simon wanted to do basically a version to find a makeup artist because makeup artistry was like the biggest profitable social media outlet at the time. So what they wanted to do behind the scenes is they wanted to set up these categories of talent across a year. And then each month they do different online talents. And then there would be a makeup category and the makeup category would be the winner. Yeah. So that's the behind the scenes tea as I understand it. I'm not confirmed with this, but that's what my perception of it is. So when they brought in these judges who chose me, they didn't expect them to choose a me. They thought they were going to choose the girl next door to be the face of whatever project they were building behind the scenes. <laughs> classic, uh, they, classic I, like uh, attempt to uh, grab the hot new up and coming sort of fringe thing, right? <laughs> and just commodify it in the image that they wish to present it and. Um, like just uh, exactly. defang the thing, but c- continue. Uh. It was just, it was just a really, really. To me, coming from a very modest upbringing and having an investment, like I used to have to print off my bus pass. I used to forge it on Photoshop, print off my bus pass to get to college because I didn't qualify for any of the government funding and my family were working really hard and I couldn't really ask for additional money. So I I didn't have money. And then having this huge cash injection, you don't pay tax on it in the UK for prizes, was it was like a life-changing event because I could invest it into my company and I could, I could really m- maximise what was going to happen with me. But what I really didn't understand at the time, because I was literally 21 when I filmed that video, it was really early, is that they were just trying to stop me from being seen as a winner, because their franchise winners across the board are always given massive press promotions right. from um, winning the Got Talents to the Amer- Leona Lewis and things in the British American Idols and all these things. So I just went along with it and I tried to actually get all the footage I could off the internet. They took the whole platform down. So all the interviews of Kylie Minogue with One Direction. Oh, no. Everyone knows the viral videos of Little Mix trying to do an accent challenge, which was the behind the scenes of the contest. But I tried the best to make it into a sort of marketing thing for yeah. me. And then I just worked my ass off. And thankfully, 
I got to America and World of Wonder really supported me and they promoted me. And Matthew Anderson was just such a mentor to me when I was doing my social media that it it gave a stamp of approval, which I needed, I think, because otherwise I kind of would have given up. I would have thought, no, I'd rather be in the obscurity of the background. Um, but it was crazy because I worked with the gay makeup artist in 2016, all the ones in America, I was signed with the same manager and they wanted me to do Justin Bieber transformations. They didn't want me to do Grace Jones, which was my personal idol. Yeah. So it was like, they wanted to have a cisgendered boy next door doing makeup, but they didn't want someone that A, looked like me, um, and B, wasn't that sort of stereotype, like the James Charles, the Manny Ways. And it, it really bothered me at the time because I used to think they, these people can't even do makeup. They're, if we're talking about skill set, yeah, they wouldn't even be able to hold like a candle to what I can do. So why would I ever not be the one to bet on? But now I understand, again, a little bit behind the scenes, they didn't want to have one of these makeup people, these influencer people to be crossover talent. They wanted someone that wasn't going to actually impose on their mainstream talent. So they had a distribution of the mainstream talent's products. So you will now see James Charles, or you'll see Nikki Tutorials, or you'll see Manny M.U.A. doing partnerships with Kim Kardashian. And guess what? No one's going to buy the makeup from Manny M.U.A. with Kim Kardashian. But if I'm in the scene with Kim Kardashian, I, I give her a run for her money because I'm pretty too. So it's like, they, like no shade, but they're not, they're not like beauty. They're, they're not models. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're the general boys that love the YouTube videos. Manny Mio, for example, told me he grew up watching the videos of my complicated life series when we started because he was a fan of what happened organically. So all of this industry stuff turned me off social media and being injured having an eye injury on top of it I was so like it was my excuse to just run for the hills and not pay this any attention do you know what I mean because it was just like once you get the whole like logistics of what people are setting you up to do and trying to ask me to do a Justin Bieber transformation for god's sake when I was doing the first ever David Bowie tutorials and like bringing that content to a platform that's mainstream. Yeah. It's like, my God. And and I always believe in, in energy, like Google recognized what I was doing and put me as the homepage as David Bowie. So it, it always works out in the wash, but it's, it's funny. Cause I think when you people see my work, they're like, Oh, you did the influence thing. But oh, no, I did it before there was an influencer and it wasn't strategic. It was completely my life. It wasn't, um, I didn't have an inspiration that I saw and thought, I want to do that too. I was filming things in my life. Yeah. Now, I'm glad you pointed that out as well because, you know, influencer is sort of a grouping that I just put together, you know, I'm I'm using as a a sort of um, overall catch-all, which I think is a misapprehension of mine. And this helps to clarify that for me because the delineation between, right, is maybe not so clear for me because I'm you know, not really that well versed in it. So it's uh, helpful for me to know that too. Is it, well, is it, I think it's because so many people who want to work in the media or have connections to working in the media see having likes now as a form of currency. Yes. It's like a way that people can evaluate what someone does and their talent. And it's really not a representation of someone's talent. It's a representation of an account that's been set up by a tech company based on AI-driven data that doesn't include LGBT people. So it's actually not a representation of talent. It's something that, like you could set up an account with viral videos on that will show anything to lots of people. That's not a representation of someone's talent. And I don't like that stuff. Like I really don't want to be an influencer is exploiting that system. 
I don't need to exploit a system. If I produce quality work, it can translate any audience that sees it. I might not be able to push it out to the maximum as I used to before this whole um, system was into play. Because it it came into place really in 2016, all of this stuff. It changed drastically in 2016. Especially on YouTube where they introduced a bell function instead of a subscription they're just a simple subscription. Yeah. People that were already subscribed got cut off when they asked you then to subscribe via a bell. And oh. then they gave you a custom, um, each individual person had an uh, individual selection of videos based on what you type and what you watch, but they didn't have the data from LGBT people when they built that system. So all the LGBT creatives that were doing diverse things were smudged out because they were no longer being recommended to people right. who were subscribed to them. So it was actually uh, kind of like a a system error that's been played on and now you see people that go viral for bad things right switch that into a, a, a some form of a media job but and um, that's not i don't think that's good karma i think it's terrible to do things like that yeah and what it, it just further <clears throat> pardon me it just further destroys what it can be and also the thing like they're not necessarily, or probably not ever really, I'm being too generous by saying not necessarily, making anything that's going to inspire people the way that your stuff does. And also doing, or rather doing things like the Bowie tutorial, which this is the kind of thing with this kind of content, right? Bowie or anything queer and in-depth is that through whatever challenges, the people that need to see it, see it. Not all of them, unfortunately, because they're not allowed to, because it's not being pushed. It's not being um, allowed to be seen. It's being throttled, which I think we see a lot on Instagram right now. I think Instagram is really doing a lot of bizarre things that might make sense for their corporate bottom line. But again, with the likes, that doesn't have any correlation to the quality of something. But the trouble is when you start seeing people who judge things based just on the likes, and it's almost like when you see people talking about someone's uh, song, some with their favorite pop star charted higher than this, someone else's favorite pop star, and it becomes this thing about who's better, which is then again just down to <laughs> that base capitalistic, like my team is better than your team stuff, which is so essentially heteronormative <laughs> and disgusting, right? It's so true. It is so stupid. It's like brainwashing because yeah. you can't say to me, like, I'm sorry, you have to be a real, real ingrained to think that someone that's become number one in America based on streams <laughs> that makes probably about 30 grand for a platinum single, which is 150 million streams on a Spotify that doesn't pay anything. If that, if you think that's good and that's better than someone that had a platinum single 20 years ago and got a million from it, then you are an idiot. Or right. probably a child. That's stupid. You can't even that. That's unintelligent. And I think that so many people are so caught up in the, in the the sort of like the illusion of that. Like everyone's pretending to be this account, and they think the value of the account is there. But then when you actually you actually pull back the curtain, they don't do much. They haven't got like a how. Most of the people with like a million people from Drag Race, how many of them you've had them all on the show? How many own property? Right. They don't own property, even with with two million people on their stuff. It's it's the people that go out there and tour and do actual like grassroots work that can accumulate the money to buy property. You can have an account with two million people from your TikTok, but it's not making you the money because you don't have the talent to go out there and do a tour, which gives you the money. <laughs> and it's crazy because the Instagram of it all 
It seems essential to everything else. It seems like people are locked into making content and posting at the same specific times of day in order to make an application and therefore Facebook or Meta or whatever the parent corporation is called now uh, flourish. And it's not really about them. Just like with Spotify, uh, again, people pay exorbitant sums of money to place their record and have teams behind them. And who does it benefit in the end? It benefits this company, which the Joe Rogan controversy recently really put a good spotlight on that. There's so many issues with that. But the one that I think uh, the overriding one that has sort of been ignored is that, yeah, everyone has Spotify and uses it to the point where they refer to Spotify as if it was Coca-Cola for cola. You know, no one ever says, oh, I'll have a Pepsi. I mean, I I don't say any of that because I don't drink soda. But if you do, you know, you're going to order a Coke somewhere, not an RC Cola. And when people start to assign um, some kind of personality or uh, aspect of their personality to a brand name, it's a little tricky. That's so true. And that whole Spotify thing for me is is just indicative of, of the lack of value of artists. It just, it doesn't appreciate people that have actually gone out there and created something magical. Because again, you can see someone like that bad baby who went on the, the Dr. Phil show saying something rude and now she was flipped into a pop star with, with streams. So, and... I've because my partner worked in the music industry. I've learned so many things about that this whole Spotify streaming thing because there's some sort of law that was always held to that was created by Apple or iTunes where mm-hmm. it was to do with the merchandising of CDs, and it's the one that all the streaming services use to justify not paying their artists for streams. Mm-hmm. And that stuff is extraordinary as one point. But but to the Joe Rogan thing, I what I find fascinating about this at the moment, which I've seen since again 2016 in the extreme is because people are so economically deprived at the moment that they think that having this social media currency will somehow translate into business acumen and they can make some actual money out of it so which i think is the whole temptation with the nft movement at the moment as well sure but it's made people repeat the same statements in the same way in with the only motivation to get liked and be seen they don't have a thought they don't have an opinion right they just want to use that hot topic thing to generate some attention for them because they want to flip that into some sort of money which they very rarely do and it's made people say the most stupid things all the time and why can people not why are people not allowed to make mistakes anymore and and to interview someone that they disagree with like that what that's crazy like why can't you not like oh my god like any um any premium university in in england will set you a challenge of arguing a point you don't believe in because then you can see another person's perspective and learn about how you can actually conquer that perspective like at the moment it's like people are so sort of like insecure about seeing a different point of view that they don't even understand the different point of view so you can beat it or persuade that person there's a better point of view. And I think that it's so important to actually have a platform where people can see someone that's wrong because then they can see it's wrong. It's like you can't say that they're spreading misinformation unless you are accusing everyone of being stupid and a sheep because I can hear misinformation and determine that it's wrong. And that will help me when I'm actually talking to someone that believes that and say, well, actually, honey, we don't agree on that. I, I might get on you with you in other areas, but this is why I don't agree with you. And what that said in that interview was wrong because ABC. I don't think you need to have a space to have that conversation online. And the snarky attitude, like, especially, oh my God, when people talk about pronouns online, like I got in such an argument with, and I, bar- I barely engage with the um, 
the gender discussions on social media anymore because in England you used to use the word androgyny which described a sort of non-binary it was like a precursor you'd call someone an androgene which was like a sort of identity before non-binary and it was something that we were really clued up on because we called our channels perfect androgyny and androgenetics they it was all to do with the androgyny thing because it was a polite way of saying that we don't fit into either gender but we're experiencing our lives like this and there's been trans experience too and I said to um I said online I really preferred it when people used the word androgyny because the sound of the word is fun. I that it was as, as innocent as that. And I got gang piled up by these children and they were like, I'm non-binary and I don't look androgynous. You're trying to invalidate my identity. And I was like, Are you actually crazy? This is I like, why do you think that I would ever say something that would invalidate your identity? That is the most incredibly insane thing. And I was like, you do realise in England, we use that word interchangeably with non-binary. And they were like, no, androgynous is to do with your looks. And I was like, you're reading from some sort of script here because this can't be real. You can't be having a conversation with me about this because this is insane. (laughs) And that that goes to the thing I always like to think of uh, as this. We have real enemies. Yes, <laughs> you know, there's actual demons out there putting together that don't say gay bill or uh, the you know the anti-abortion bills in Texas, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. We need to be able to divine what the point of what someone is saying is and what they're actually saying. Oh my god, yes! Like, oh my god, that is so true. And ha- and how can you do that if you're looking at a picture of a cartoon cat speaking to you on bloody Twitter? It's yeah. so it, it's inhumanized someone's um, intonation and, and what their intention is. Like, I guess I say a lot of crazy things, but people must know that I'm a sweetie, and I mean, I want everyone to do well. I get that so often because I think, oh my god, people think I'm actually really like striding, and I'm I'm the total opposite in real life. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm not striding. I'm just really impassioned in that point but talking about the news it's like why are our gay media well i can speak for the the british gay media particularly why are we seeing more pictures of people straight athletes in speedos instead of actually news about the legislation like there's so so many like there's so many opportunities to actually spread awareness and it's all done by people and the problem with this is like as much as i think so many of these social media accounts that do um awareness of these uh, legislative, legislative changes, they are not journalists and they are not fact checkers. And sometimes you do get the back end of a bit of misinformation that people will look into that's catchy. They'll retweet it, spread it out there and people believe it. And it's very, very, very tricky when you don't have any other sources that have got those processes to really fact check because you, some things horrify me that I read about, about some of the equality movement, um, all the Tavistock stuff in the UK that was going on because a, a, a person, um, transitioned from female to male. They felt that they were in, they were pressured by a doctor to go through that process. And then they were trying to pull back the ability to prescribe kids um, puberty blockers. So what they were trying to use this case of was an example of kids being treated with puberty blockers prematurely. Well, the person that actually transitioned was on testosterone, which is not puberty blockers. And it was completely misrepresented. And we've got this whole climate, which is stemmed from this um, kind of like... 
mysterious mums now, I like to call it sometimes, because <laughs> this is like where the turf headquarters lay. Um, it, they, it's like both sides spread such misinformation, but they do it because they want to be part of this focal conversation on social media yeah. because none of them would get any attention for doing anything but joining this conversation and what has really scared me is like there's this woman called Kathleen Stock um, who is a Sussex I'm Brighton is part of East Sussex and she's I went to Sussex University when I was actually 15 mm-hmm. I was part of a name high scheme there but she was a lecturer there and she did nothing but talk about philosophy she wasn't a gender critic at all and what I understand is that she didn't like the fact that on her lesbian day sites they included trans women and this motivated this group meeting thing on campus which led into a tour and then a book and then she got fired because everyone in her university that were non-binary and trans and young said you're not actually understanding the nuance of our generation at all you're trying to create some paranoid misrepresentation of trans women imposing on women's spaces well trans people fight for women's rights and trans rights and you're not fighting for the complete spectrum of women's rights so something's wrong in this and she basically fleed the scene and then went on this press tour about how she was cancelled i mean what like what an incredible situation you're going on a press tour about how you were cancelled this was her meal ticket yeah this was her she wasn't on a she wasn't on this morning tv and she wasn't talking about this book it was completely I don't think it was strategic. I don't think she planned to do that, but it benefited her tremendously. No one would ever have known who she was before. And I don't like that whole, that that is not good. This, that climate of what just happened in that situation is not good. With that Candice Owens in America, yeah, and and her position, she, I can't, like, I just cringe because I'm like, you really are doing this to get a paycheck. Like we had that Katie Hopkins woman in, in the UK who was all over the news for a hot minute before she got removed from Twitter. They, they troll people on these really serious things. And I, that is where I find it just like, my God, we are entering dodgy negative karmic energy at the moment. Yeah. And it has to come to an end because these people always get found out to be insincere in what they think. Like, oh my God, I don't know if you know this um, social media blogger taking it back to my experience called Blair White. No. She's like a right, oh my God, she's a trans woman, um, right wing. I think she's a year younger than me. And I was familiar with her because she was a fan of my work when I did the makeup thing. So I added her on the Facebook and on Facebook, all the trans girls used to have these private groups where they would post people mid transition and critique them mm-hmm. like a bunch of cats and alleys. It was terrible. Yeah. But I joined the group to sort of get a feel of what was going on and she then didn't have any success as a social media creator in beauty because she wasn't a natural artist or whatever so she started to do right-wing commentary as a trans woman and what that enabled to do during the trump era was having someone present almost that sort of snarky logic and make it look like it made sense yeah and she um she called me the n-word Oh my God. Which was atrocious um, because she found out about my family um, being diverse ethnicities. And she was an example of someone that was completely trolling to get the attention she wanted to get from being a makeup YouTuber that she didn't achieve. And I think that people like that are just 
like she has cut her she's painted herself into a corner where she's kind of segregated herself around 95% I think of the, the LGBT community to just get that attention and guess what no money was made she hasn't got any friends in here and what she has done to me I, when she used racial language to me because I was literally <laughs> the sort of like the the person in her periphery at that time that she wanted to start a fight with it it was like you you that is awful karma and you're going to have to deal with it mm-hmm. i see it in every single circumstance of this do, what do you think about that like when people use this sort of like cancel culture tactics to actually build their platform you could say both sides play into it but it ultimately favors the right wing all the time and i really despise how people are also getting in a froth about stuff like the sam elliott thing for instance which is meaningless or Rolling Stone did this piece on Neil Young when he said his feelings about Spotify, and they they listed mm. all the great things he's done. You know, lots of charity things, farm aid, but they had to add something that said, "But he's not scot free because you know he said this homophobic thing in the mid '80s." And I was like, mm, "That doesn't <laughs> what?" I was like, and, and I actually Googled <laughs> Neil Young homophobic three words. I never thought I would even think in the same sentence. <laughs> and so I looked it up, traced the source of the quote all the way back to i found the original audio of the 1985 interview and it's amazing because he uses the f word right he says faggots you go to uh you go to a supermarket and you see a faggot behind the fucking uh cash register you don't want him to handle your potatoes in 1985 probably 90 percent of people of a certain age no matter what their sexual orientation or their views or whatever that word probably came out of their mouth. So there's a certain conte- right. contextual blindness that helps people that use this stuff. A lot of these things are shreds of information that are then grabbed onto, capitalized on. And then, for instance, you mentioned the people getting, uh, Katie Hopkins getting kicked off Twitter, which when I saw that happen, I said, thank God, great. Yes. <laughs> and there was a turf author and i keep forgetting her name probably deliberately it's like sometimes if i really disrespect someone or if i don't have any respect for them i will deliberately mispronounce their name all the time yes <laughs> just subtly that's good for the ai listening to us showing it to us on our bloody feed <laughs> so uh i can't remember this turf name but they were on the joe rogan show and i just picked it because i was like oh, i haven't i don't know who this woman is so i found out She's like bragging about getting kicked off Twitter. And that's her currency. That's how she gets on the Joe Rogan show, which, and again, back to that, because I agree with you about hearing maniacs. There's a thing I like about talk shows or anything. If there's a maniac talking, let the maniac talk so we can know what the maniac has to think. The uh, trouble really with Rogan is that he says this stuff about wanting to have honest conversations about interesting topics. Okay. So you're interested in the trans topic. The problem is you've only had one trans person on and you've had how many TERFs on or how many people that say anti-trans things. So if you're interested in it, have both sides like Dick Cavett used to do or or Parkinson, right? There would be any number of people that would be on. Dick Cavett one time had the racist governor of Alabama on with uh, Jim Brown, the actor, and they mm-hmm. got into a big fight. But you got to see the thing for what it really is, you, you know, a long extended discussion right. about something. And... It's disturbing also, this cancel culture thing, even now because it's that is commodified. It's a slogan like uh, Coke is it or just do it because people just drop cancel culture or uh, woke 
And that that means something immediately to whoever hears it. That's right. That's so right. And like woke, yeah, granted it. Well, there's a couple problems with woke. It's cultural appropriation as well from the black community. It immediately is like a red rag to a bull when people use it. And it's a way of uniting people that are just angry. They're, they're angry, but it's an amorphous anger. It doesn't have a spe- specificity to it. But they can gather around that campfire and sort of pretend that they're together. And that, I think, unfortunately, is true of both sides of the issue. There's a shred of information. It's tweeted, then retweeted. I mean, I've seen some threads talking about certain queens who may or may not have said something bad, you know, all that stuff. And then in this thread, I was looking through the whole thing. And uh, about 30% of the way down, someone goes, oh, no, fill in the blank said fill in the blank. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Now, the original issue had nothing to do with them saying something. It was about some participation in something else. But then once this person said that, then that's sort of snowballed. And then now that becomes the truth. So there's also a, a lack of diligence, I think, on the consumer end, if we're going to say consumer or the reader or the listener's end, of something not being looked into. Like, if you're so upset by this, wouldn't you look it up? Like, I had to look up that Neil Young thing because I thought, that, that's that's impossible. Like, whatever this was, this quote was did not happen this way. And, mm. uh, and even the original... Uh, article that the thing was sourced from the guy misrepresented what he actually interviewed the guy on he like left out the prompt kill the oceans and this whole planet will die do you think they'll sort this AIDS thing out or what boy I don't know I don't that's pretty scary it is scary (laughs) you go to you go to a supermarket and you see a faggot behind the fucking uh cash register you don't want them to handle your potatoes you don't know yeah i mean that's it's true i don't know that it's paranoid but that's the way it is even though it's not just gay people it's that they're taking the rap there's a lot of religious people of course feel that this is god's work you know god saying you know no more butt fucking (laughs) we're gonna catch you you know what i mean i mean a lot of people feel that way It's not natural, so there's this thing has come along to wipe it out. A lot of people just say, well, that's it. That's the way it's supposed to be. I don't know what it is. It's natural. That's one thing about it. It's a living organism. Or virus, whatever it is. I hope they find something to stop. The other problem I have with the cancel culture thing in general, and I wish there was another way to, to describe it, because again, the more we say it, the more it becomes the thing. It's, you know, this is the brand of that. Yeah. <laughs> is that when there's outrage over absolutely fucking everything, none of it means anything. That's, and that, that is the desensitization of everything. And it is, there's so many things in that, like to your point about, um, how it it benefits the right wing people I, I think it benefits everyone i like Jame- that jamelia jamil woman um was a very high profile tv presenter in the uk and she was next to the alexa chung woman who was also on on the same sort of thing alexa chung was given the promotion as the white girl she was in with all the vogue people in the uk at that time and she was given this huge platform and she really wasn't that good of a presenter she was a better model i think and jamila Jamil was a good presenter but she has really exploited every single negative thing that she's ever gone through which is her right to do but she's gone through it's it's almost like she's used 
people's um, emotional intelligence to make herself look like a victim of various different things at different times to benefit her and she is on the left and if anyone does this i mean the the reason why i think this has all happened is because the way that these social media structures have been formatted is to sell adverts to their targeted demographic so they often provoke you to stay on longer by showing you these really tense bizarre videos i don't know if you've ever seen on the facebook watch things you see these people rolling balls of foil and then putting it in the microwave and then panning off camera and back and coming out with like a diamond or something and you're like oh my god it is so stupid but they make you watch the whole video by slowly rolling this foil like in this this very interesting way and you're like oh my god what is going on but they're they're tricking you so they understand who you are and then they're putting you in a bubble of people that think exactly the same as you and then rewarding you for saying it so you're going to get people that are teams and if you deviate from that team message you're you're the enemy so they get no you can't be identified like i would vote as far left as you can go i'm a pacifist i want all the animals to live i don't want bombs i don't want wars like that's me but if i deviate from saying anything about the left politics at the moment people would say i'm against the left politics well actually no i can criticize them i'm I'm actually allowed to criticize them if they're not doing their job properly and they're not actually being an avatar of the democratic opinion of what we voted for that's that's holding someone to account and i think that sometimes at the moment there's a lack of being able to hold people to account because you're not holding people to account you're holding a accounts to account which is a very different process like there is no legal um consequence to someone saying something cruel and getting kicked off twitter it's the twitter thing so do you know what i mean so they've got to hype up the value of what being on these accounts are when it has no fucking value it just has no value and it is so ridiculous how people can use anything in the world like there was a photo shoot i did when america's next model came out when they did the race swap photo shoot with tyra banks and it was for the milk advert in america and i was painted on a photo shoot half grace jones half me and this was done in tribute to the jean-paul gaud image of um, grace jones where she was in white face which is a classic image that i've always thought was beautiful now i never thought that that was any racial connotations at all especially considering some of my family are black first and foremost secondly i didn't think it was a racial connotation because it was something i saw on tv when i was 15 and i didn't understand the context of that so if someone was ever to say looking back at my history and doing my project that that i did when i was a kid is it any indication of my thoughts that would be completely misrepresenting the situation and it would be I think this has been gone this has gone on so many times now that people do they should not believe anything they see on a platform that has adverts if (laughs) it's got adverts on it needs to be considered with a pinch of salt because it's going to be done to make someone some money and it's it's always going back to this like I'm so disappointed with so many of these um amazing 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 old school publications and platforms that have really gone into playing this because it's like the one of the things that I was always really kind of like personally annoyed by was that it took me so so long to work with premium beauty brands in my work because they didn't have an example of trans people that had done it before they didn't have any openly trans people my age that I could look up to and ask questions to and say look I'm a really good at my job I want to I I can make sales I've sold thousands and thousands of merchandise on my own I can sell your products believe 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 me and they wouldn't give me the chance so i've entered this um competition called the l'oreal the brush contest which was an opportunity to be in a campaign for l'oreal in 2015 and 
all my audience voted for me to get into this bloody campaign and I did it and it went really well. And the year later, they asked me to be in the television advert. And I said, well, I'm not going to be in the television advert because I don't want to be um, tokenized for the benefit of the brand. Mm -hmm. And they put another trans person in called Munro Bergdorf, who I knew. And she got kicked out of the brand because she had posted on her Twitter some of the incidences that were going on during the Black Lives Matter marches in America. And she had a very strong opinion about it, which she was, I completely agreed with. And they thought it was against white people in a prejudiced way, which was stupid. So they removed her from the advert. But everyone has gone with this story that she was the first trans person to actually be in L'Oreal when it was not her that did it first. Everyone knows that I did this stuff before everyone else. They every like everyone in London scene knows my work. They they won't say that I did it, and that is so annoying to me. Like it's like why are we now pretending the emperor's wearing clothes? It's so not true. And I think that sometimes the reason why I kind of distinguish myself and I don't involve myself so <laughs> tremendously in the LGBT scene anymore is because I feel like ever that we're particularly naive particularly susceptible to this kind of marketing ploys and and dishonesty and it's against my spirit completely i just can't be around the nonsense if everyone's entitled to to um have their platform and to do amazingly with it but please don't dismiss mine and it's that one personally annoyed me because it was printed in time magazine it was printed in various publications and it was only till 2018 that Fast Company actually told the story about what happened to me winning Eugen. So before then, I was in my early mid-twenties and and not having any manager or any press or or telling the story about my actual efforts to change things. Right. Because there wasn't a there wasn't a Joseph Harwood doing it before me. There was no trans people working with these brands. And I think that's really important because it's changed what we see in our marketing campaigns today. Um so like in certain regards, when that's just a personal thing that I can I can share, but it's there's so many cases of that. And we're literally living in a bit of a disillusioned version of real events now. And that's when it gets into dangerous territory. Like so I used to like be so convinced that there was something hoodwinkery going on with some of the Trump um, videos that I saw. And I saw this other video with um, Joe Biden and they'd done that thing with the mouth moving. Uh And then just after that on TikTok, they started to introduce that thing where you could um, face match you, you could put someone else's face on you. And I just thought, my God, can we even believe any of this stuff anymore? (laughs) It's like, it's how can you distinguish what is actually coming from someone like, oh my God, like I, that's just why I love the, the podcast you did with Lady Bunny because I think a lot of what she says is she questions things like this. And that's what I, it's my instinct to do the same. And yeah. like some of the stuff that she said on that podcast was very interesting because I thought, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Not that I consider myself a young lady bunny, but enemies. <laughs> but there you go. Well, I agree with you. It's, uh, I think <laughs> to everyone's benefit to question everything because that doesn't mean that you don't believe in stuff, but it means that you put some kind of rigorous intellectual process on it and you have to especially now with all the information being thrown at us and you mentioned managers and all that stuff i think a lot of people don't realize that like the accounts that we talked about on instagram and other places a lot of stuff is being massaged formatted and packaged by managers or groups that are trying to get ad dollars or managers for working for an act that are trying to get ad dollars and then making 
videos similar to the foil rolling, but the foil being rolled is something else. It's uh, an intellectual uh, foil. You know, it's a, oh, this is how, did you know about this? And I bet you didn't know about this. If you put some nice lower third graphics on a video and have someone who sounds like they know what they're talking about, chances are you're going to get a lot of people to believe whatever that might be. And then, uh, yes, you know, yes, yes, yes. And then when they cut back, it's not the diamond, but it's some other thing. But you're like, oh, wow. And we see a lot of this w- with the COVID um, misinformation, people talking about, well, I was doing a lot of research. I've been looking at that. And it's strange to say because there is a tremendous value in doing your own, quote, research. But I can't even say that now because that phrase is, you know, linked to that. But digging and looking and checking stuff out. It behooves everyone because as you said, this thing taking as fact because it was printed in something, unfortunately we can't really rely on a lot of the big publications anymore. One of my favorite things is spawning typos in massive publications that have no business <laughs> having typos. Oh my God. Well, don't look at my Twitter. Cause I spell like a, or someone with no eyes. I, I'm terrible. And that's my awful. My grammar is awful. When I say it, people understand it. Cause I have got a funny way of speaking, but when I type it, I type like a lunatic. Well, let me ask you though. <laughs> do you have an entire fact checker and uh, proofing department or is it just you doing this stuff? It's just me. There just you go. Me, me and my personalities. <laughs> We're going to take a break from the show to tell you about something really important that you should get into right now, and that is the GoFundMe of our friend Rubber Child. Hi, Divas. Why don't you tell the fine listening audience about your GoFundMe and why they should go there now? So I have a little GoFundMe to just help with um, financing my medical transition. So if anyone can help at all, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. And just the amount of love I've gotten already is stunning. And I feel I feel so loved. So thank you, everyone. That's wonderful. So show your love over and over again. Splash it out. Share it. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Share it, spray it, everything. Spread it. And go to Rubber Child's Instagram page. And actually, matter of fact, you're listening to this right now. So there is a link in the bio of this episode or the episode description, whatever you want to call it. It's there. So click on it now. Donate. And if you can't donate, make sure you share it around so other folks who can, who might not know about it, can do so. Oh, yeah. Can I ask you, can I ask you a question on the fact checking thing? Because yeah. I've, one thing that I'm really interested at the moment in is what is going on in Russia as a result of this t- horrific scenario that's going on in Ukraine. Um, I have you personally found it hard to, f- to distinguish information about the, the psyche of Russian people at this point in time? Because I, I have looked high and low to see, and I understand the basic gist of what, what the propaganda there is about. I get what they, what they have been fed, but I can't, I have never seen a singular interview on social media or on any media on the internet that I can, I can see what a Russian person actually thinks is going on because some of the things that I've seen are mothers um, saying that they thought their children were going to a training exercise and actually their sons were going to the Ukraine um, state to fight in this war. Other things I've seen, it, it's this stuff is it's traumatizing to to dive into. Yeah. But I, I feel an obligation to understand what what's going on there because I feel like they there's some sort of neo-nazi accusation to do with the jewish president of ukraine yeah th- th- um, that's the one that I, I know i was really like what wait hold on a second wait what like I was, 
<laughs> I was like, hang on, did I read that right? I need new glasses, that kind of thing. Have you found it hard to find this info too? Yeah, I I think it's really disturbing how little we see of actual Russians talking about the thing. I mean, you know, we do see the protests, which are people putting their lives in jeopardy because of the kind of basically fascist state that they live in, uh, which gives me an indication that a lot of people there are not happy with this. But yet, I don't think I've seen anything like that either. And just like you, as disturbing as this stuff is, I feel this, uh, not compulsion, but obligation to get through as much of the information as possible. About a year ago, uh, or in the heart of the pandemic, there were definitely times where I just had to switch the news off or avoid any of the news outlets because a lot of it was monotonous information and it was just really depressing. Now, this is granted very depressing, but it's also essential that we know what's going on or try to. It's very hard to. It's, it's so hard, especially when you are entrapped in your house in some regards, especially in the lockdown, seeing all, all of the um, negative information was awful. But this, the thing that I find it very confusing because I've, I've got, a, I try and keep as um, invested in, in politics now. I'm old and old enough to really get a grip of what's going on. And there's been several accounts when I've seen Ukrainian people come forwards and say, this has been going on for eight years. There was an incident where Russia took over Crimea right. and they essentially moved into Crimea without much bloodshed. They stationed their arms without actually taking action against the, um, the people. And they believed that Ukraine would be, um, overturned as simply as that. And I, I don't understand what motivation would have happened because many of the Russian people in the main cities are either related to people in Ukraine or are from Ukraine or have grandparents in Ukraine and are really essentially family with Ukraine. I don't, I can't get my head around it. I, I can't get my head around the fact that there's the opposition leader is in a glass cage at one point. I think that was correct. The, oh. Forgive me, I've just thrown my, my drink on the floor. But it's, it's okay, it's, you're, in, you're, what, you're impassioned, <laughs> these things happen. I am. I, I just want to know, I want to get my head around what this person is. Because this man, this Putin man, is fascinating. Riding bareback on horses, in an alligator lake. Like, everything <laughs> about this is just completely bonkers. Like, I think, like, I had this, like, instinct, because I normally go on my instinct um, with things. I was like, I think there's some sort of, like, we've been given this impression of Russia that it's like this crazy superpower with all these mega rich oligarchs. I don't think any of them are rich anymore. I think there's been some sort of very clever propaganda machine that's given an illusion of Russia. Mm. They don't have a, a competent army by all accounts because how can there be civil people in Ukraine doing pretty well fighting against Russia? That does not <laughs> that does not imply a very qualified army, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the, the, um, the death rate of the Russian soldiers, I heard the figure the other day on, I think, the Telegraph podcast, the daily one, and whatever the number is, it, it was insane because... Again, civilians fighting the military, and they compared it to a previous war where the number, like the, they've already hit the same number as another conflict that lasted a tremendous amount of time. It's I don't. It's something's not right here. It doesn't make sense. Like they sent, they they put on TV in England about a week ago that he'd sent this 40-mile convoy of, of trucks and tanks, and today they announced that they had run out of fuel. 
and food the convoy on their march to Ukraine. <laughs> so this this just it seems like a complete sort of satirical like show. It's it's like some horrifying joke. I, I it, it's I'm finding it like cuz my like something is not right here. Yeah. No competent person would could could can do this. This is either some demented intelligence service that has got a very warped opinion about the rest of the world and what Ukraine's stance was because uh, from the small amount of interviews that I've seen there's only been two that I've seen from Russian people in the military that's been part of this campaign against Ukraine they've said that they expected Ukraine to open them uh, uh, to greet them with open arms because they were under occupation from this neo-Nazi state and when they got there and saw that wasn't the case they couldn't continue to fight so I'm like, well, what, how could you believe that? Who, what yeah. kind of intelligent person that watches TV that has some sort of internet exposure? I assume that if they are in the city or if they're in a military base, there must be some sort of intelligence that's internet. How could you be that naive or that stupid to go into this? Like, there, there's something's not right here. There, there's some, there's either some chemical they're putting in the water there to keep people under under wraps, or there's some something else going on here and we've had this scary impression especially because obviously um watching all the american politics and how there's been this fixation on russian interference yeah. on and on like the the internet and whatever to do with the voting system when was it when trump was coming in and against hillary was yeah. this the that was the time and there was it? all, it's it's, all kind I, of data tampering and all of that stuff and of course right the theory which i believe to be true that trump is a russian asset I don't know if Trump is a Russian asset as much as I think that so many people believed in the corruption of the left that they voted for anything other. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't. I can't get my head around America because I'm not from there, and some things I get a bit mis. I, I, I misunderstand a lot of it. But I don't think that there's a lot of people that I knew who were socialist people on the left before mm-hmm. voting for Trump because he was perceived by them as someone outside the establishment, which is naive and stupid because yeah. he's part of a machine of many people who are part of the establishment. And what he is is the figurehead of a ship, not not the controlling thought process, in my opinion. But I, I don't know, like it's, there's so much stuff on this that I think like politics is something that I'm still learning about and I'm still trying to get my head around a lot of things. But going back to that information thing, it's, it's all become so just war. It's like a ball of wool that is impossible to unravel. And I'd love to find out if there is some sources that I can look at about the Russian opinions and, and whatever's going on because I want to know what they think. I want to know if they think it's, it's, logical or, or humane to for what they're doing because it's shocking i know that there is a tremendous amount of censorship in russian media and on the internet so i think that that has something to do with it i was reading an article yesterday i believe about the i guess plot points that putin was pushing that there was the neo-nazi thing which again completely confounded me as how anyone could believe that (laughs) but then you think about well if you're only given access to certain information and you never hear anything other than that how would you react to it and that plus um his just complete control of the country and no one can do anything about it and i think that the oligarchs while it's nice to see that their stuff is getting taken away, I saw a friend post about a thing, uh, an aspect of that, which is that, so if we know this is a bad man, we've known this is a bad man, but now suddenly, now now is the time to take away their stuff. 
Like, what about maybe working with one of them to help to remove the guy or sabotage him or something? So it's like you said, an unending onion. Really, it's you know, it's it's a it's a woolly mm-hmm. onion that never stops revealing horrible things or confusing things. Right, and one of our um, horrendous um, Boris Johnson minions, Jacob Mogris, um sold his um, shares in a Russian bank for forty six million. The like four weeks before this whole invasion started, yeah, as the as the economy was always obviously going to be sanctioned, so there was some intelligence that w- that was being understood before this even took place, which is um, sinister in itself because. I don't know. It just, I, the the whole thing at the moment is become really short. And it's doubly shocking, I think, because we were in such a controlled scenario for the last two years because of the restrictions around COVID. And I think that information surrounding that was bad enough because so many things were, were just put into place that were not logically um, for the best of everyone. There was so many things in England. We had this, um, it kind of like you had in the, the States where certain states had certain rules and certain others, like there was like barriers between literally like from one side of the street to the other in England where they had restrictions on one side of the street, but not the other. And it, it wasn't as divided as state lines. This was actually like a, um, county lines. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there's been so many bizarre things where we've seen like people break the rules um, and all of that shit. And then to go from from the insane fixation about COVID into now this, and COVID's not been mentioned one time. It's like, what is going on? We just went through this whole like two years of this shit and now we're going into this war fixation. It's like, oh my God, it's like, you have to take like a break from this stuff. And that actually brings me to my fabulous project, Agitprop. <laughs> yes, let's talk about Agitprop and, and some uh, other of your fabulous projects and your collaborations with various brands and all the other yes. stuff that we didn't talk about that you've achieved. Well, this is horribly, horribly fitting because Agitprop is about propaganda from that era of the world. (laughs) And it was absolutely intended to... Originally, I wanted to do a coffee table book, which I would take photographs and do makeup images about what I thought was being misled in the media. So this I started eight years ago. Um, Probably I was instinctually thinking about the war. No, I'm joking. I didn't (laughs) know about the war. But um, I started this thing called Agitprop and I just thought it was something that I could use to to give an opinion because everyone wanted me to do a makeup coffee table book with all the RuPaul Drag Race girls. And I was doing one with Greg Bailey and we did like the porn star Francois Sagat as Madonna for and that became a collectible thing and all the Drag Race girls. And, and I took them out of their drag and put them in sort of natural editorial drag mm-hmm. and it, it became a book called All Right Darling. So we were going to be working on it and I wanted to do a spin-off called Agitprop where I could show not just beautiful images of LGBT people, but I could make a statement about... um using exotic animals in Swarovski adverts and and thinking about dairy and the fetishization of dairy and things like that because I'm I don't eat meat and I try and be kind to animals um so it was just like that and then I didn't get to do that because I injured my eye and so I put it on the back burner and then in the lockdown I thought I need to do something with all these pictures because I've got all these pictures and I started to document things in my day-to-day life and I started to photograph things that really cheered me up because it really profoundly affected me being in this lockdown I'm such a social person that I felt really kind of out of sync and my partner um 
was in France. We have a renovation in France. Mm. So they went into lockdown the week before England and we were kind of sequestered for the first part where we couldn't travel back and forth. So it was like my whole life stopped. We sold the Brighton home, like the big home here to the people renting it. And I felt like I was displaced. I had all my furniture from my home in storage yeah. and I couldn't right move forward. So I really wanted to cheer myself up. So I started to um, go out with my family more and we take pictures of wildflowers around the area because there was going to be an estate built on the local field we used to play in. I thought if I keep like a record of things from my childhood, it will be good for my kids and my nieces. Um, so I began to put all this project together. It's just really formed organically from what we were doing in the pandemic. And I, I just thought, my God, this is like the anti-propaganda things which was the whole concept of the book it just became something else so I started to just format all different things that I could do in my in my day-to-day life from vegan recipes to images that cheered me up to colorful things that made me smile to writing blogs about my life that I never shared because I kept all my online stuff very impersonable like I I just wanted it to be about tutorials and, and work yeah and that was my chance to really do something that was different and it just was so good so many people just saw it and was like what the hell who do who is your photographer who is your editor not me i did everything it's all taken from my iphone yeah every image on that website is taken from my iphone and it it just was it blew up and locked down for me so um that became its own business and we've relaunched today oh um i just did a live cook-off Thank you. Thank you. I did a live cook-off with Veganery, which is a vegan um, organisation in the UK, that just before this interview, with you, our lovely chit-chat. Um, and it's just a new it's a new thing. And then when I was doing it, I realised there really wasn't any representation in this area online. There wasn't anyone doing travel content. Like, everyone always wants me to go back to being the JH from 2015, but I'm grown up now. I'm not... Like, I just turned 30. I don't want to fixate on what I was doing when I was 24 and 23. I'm happy where I am now. Um, So everyone, I'd love everyone to check that out. And I have a little podcast, which I have to have you on. We have to have another chat. I would love that. I dearly love that. And perhaps we can tape one when I'm in London next month. Yes, that would be so good. Let's do that for my podcast. And we can do that. That'd be really fun. And we can do like some more visual stuff. Yeah, that'd be fabulous. Yeah, that's my big project. (laughs) Other than that, I just do a couple of blogs now and again. I've done like seven blogs last year and a half on my YouTube. And I'm always working with different brands. I designed a product line under L'Oreal Innovations called Checker Black, um, which sold 1 million units last month. So that went very well. Um, And congratulations on that too, not to interrupt you, but congratulations on that as well. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I do so much now behind the scenes. I'm a member of the British Beauty Council and I've been talking a lot about tech stuff in this uh, chat today because I work with um, a lot of AI companies now. I'm on the board for a tech advisory thing and they do all the AI and AR um, tech mirrors. So if you go into like a store and they've got those magical mirrors where you can change your lipstick color and, yeah. color and stuff, I work with them now. Uh, it's just different I work with different things in my life it's been so funny because it's like everyone was like oh you were so successful on social media blah 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 and I'm like oh my god I'm so much better now like I've done so much more since stopping that horrible social media stuff (laughs) um but (laughs) but that's like that's like looking at your old photos from school though you know because you see one thing and everyone else sees uh, a much more elevated product probably than you see because we always look at our past work in a certain kind of light because we're looking to move forward and do different things and continue to progress and evolve. And this reminds me also of uh, 
the trajectory and mindset of one of your favorite people and mine, David Bowie. Yes. Well, I think he gave me the sort of like the the idea or permission that I could reinvent myself. Yeah. And sometimes I, I go through these sort of like episodes where I burn out quite quickly and my reset is completely transforming into something new. And actually, I was going to chit chat to you about my mix up of medication because we've had a couple of um, rescheduling. But I've just had a hairline transplant because from wearing wigs for 15 years, I, I've ripped out half my hairline. So I've just had my hairline put back in and they gave me these antibiotics, which I had a terrible, terrible reaction with. So I went to, to actually A&E, um, three days ago oh, wow. and I had to swap. It was, I was there from nine to three in the morning, oh. um, in A&E, just trying to get the right medicine through for the antibiotics. But it's just been a crazy thing, but I feel like I'm going through this transformative thing at the moment. Yeah. And hopefully once I'm over the sort of healing process of everything, I will start doing more things with all my wonderful drag friends. I'm sure many of the listeners know all the drag girls from America because I was asked um, about through two months ago by Drag Race UK if I'd like to go on an audition in the American Drag Race. But since I'm not a drag queen, I politely declined. Sure. But I am very much adjacent to the to the scene and, and I'm also a contest winner, even though they forget that sometimes. <laughs> I also won lots of money doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's I really want to do more creative stuff. I love it. I love getting the chance to work with brands and and I wouldn't have done that had it not been a lockdown. So there's one silver lining. But anyway, I'm so excited that you are in a relationship with someone that I know from England, because that means we can have a proper catch up when you're here. Yes, I know. I'm really happy about that. Uh, Ada's the best. Yes, it's a very small I think it was this, the the southern part of the LGBT scene. Everyone kind of convalesced in London and knew each other. Yeah. So it was always like through the similar kind of scene. And I was always there, but not part of it. So I, I never got the chance to meet her in person, but I knew who she was from from everyone there, really, which is fantastic. And she's so talented. And it's it's fascinating how we're all kind of like... The world puts everyone in each other's pathway. Because <laughs> right. I was such a fan. By I was a fan of your podcast for so long. I literally have listened to so many episodes, and you've got such a fabulous voice. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's so lovely. You you do as well. Oh, thank you. I so appreciate that. And it's lovely how this week got connected and everything. And definitely looking forward to seeing you uh, next month, and then uh, everyone meeting in person and all of that. Do you still, do you have a little bit more time? Because I have a couple of other things I'd like to chat about. But if you don't. Yes, I do. Okay, good. I can stay for another 20 minutes. Wonderful. Great. Um, and uh, let's say, I just forgot what everything was. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the thoughts that you had expressed before about technology and AI really. And it's interesting because you're working a lot in we'll say the more um constructive aspects of that technology because every technology it's like with anything, you know, there's good sides and there's bad sides, so there's good applications and bad applications. And I think um you're definitely on the right side of things. I'm just <laughs> I, I really hope so, because there's so many um, issues that I foresee with this development of AI. Um, I, I've i always been acutely aware that 
I was my my kind of trajectory in my career was always randomly placed. It was people discovered me. There was no strategy. It was it happened organically, and it wasn't through um, a program processing me demonstrating how I could fit into someone's ad system and then presenting me to generate the most income it that system to me doesn't it doesn't result in quality of anything there's that it doesn't show what people are and it doesn't show people as fallible and people as vulnerable and people that make mistakes it's very 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 bad and it makes people almost desensitized to extreme things which i think has happened tremendously i think in pornography i think in horror movies i think there's been such a numbness that's formed from this culture that people have looked for further extremes as as things go on which i don't think is good i think it's not actually enlightening I think it's actually breaking things. Um, and I know a little bit about how they formatted the systems in the social medias that I work with, because as happens in everything in my life, it happened completely by chance. But I was approached by Google to be a product tester. So when they started to do all their systems in 2018, I came on board and worked in their offices in London and a couple of hotels when they were doing the environmental protests there um, and fed back on how they didn't have information about LGBT people at all. They didn't see LGBT people as anything but an unad friendly word. So when you would search for trans, it would identify it as not ad friendly. And if you had more than one or two videos on your channel with that word in, it would take your whole platform out of the search results and therefore not recommend your content. So it cut off people's financial autonomy because before then we'd been able to bypass employment gatekeepers yeah. because we could access money through social media. And after they changed that, it it blew up everyone's career potential because if you didn't have an investment like I did winning that contest, you wouldn't have been able to, to build a business that continued. So it was something that they built without having data around LGBT people. And none of the people that work on these new tech companies have that data it's really 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 in demand at the moment and i think my job at the moment is to really introduce that information to people because as soon as i start speaking about it they're like oh my god obviously we need someone that's lgbt to put that data in because we don't even have that questioning process within our infrastructure like that we just assume it's all there and yeah and if if for the most part if you're if you're a heterosexual guy and you don't have a varied social life you probably won't see trans people outside of porn let's be real and if that's your experience as someone then maybe the connotations that you apply with that word wouldn't be suitable for a disney advert if you're inputting that in your computer so it's that stuff needs to be changed and and until when that's did when all these ai systems were put into the social media stuff around 2015 that is when everything changed for the worst it really stopped creativity it started people became curative instead of creative Mm -hmm. they were taking what was there and representing it as opposed to coming up with something new and it was all driven by this delusion of financial gain when rarely it actually happened for people right so i i motivated because i think that i loved when i started on social media and all the people i work with i think it's me and one other people that are still going um 
And it was shocking to me because I saw so many people thriving in different areas of creativity from making movies to doing comedy, to doing acting, to producing political commentary that wasn't just what's going on in the world, but they gave an opinion that wasn't top news. Um, I don't know. I just think like all of this stuff has impacted on our culture for the for a negative and I think that it's difficult because I see things from a perspective where I've always been told I can't do things mm-hmm. and I, I kind of blame a lot of this on on what's happened but then when I go and do it then hopefully I can make some change and, and in my work I have been able to make some change like I'm so proud of things that I've done in the last couple of years because I got to work with the Pouge Umbrella who does all the Jopo Gautier fragrances Charlotte Tilbury's and I wrote their inclusivity guidelines and presented to the CEOs how they can make things better and in the lockdown I spoke with the president of SA Lauder UK and said that my experience trying to get a job when I was 15 I was told my image was too strong I didn't have any makeup on it's because I was ambiguous so you can't have that that's not that's not human that's that's a that's a that's wrong so when i said that to the president it kind of shifted the conversation because then it gave other people permission to learn and i think that that is what my goal is with all my work i want people to learn and just try and be a little bit more aware of of like if there's different colors to to what you're doing you're going to have a better end result like let's be real like if you're like there's always room for improvement and stuff. And I really think that if I show that you can be kind and I, I'm also not that touchy about people making mistakes. Like everyone's so fussy about like, Oh my God, what is your pronouns? What's your pronouns? I'm like, as long as you're not swinging a brick at me, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, I don't care. I, yeah. do, I wouldn't have called myself Joseph and look like me if I cared. Right. I don't care. It's I'm more than what is in front of you. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I, I, I'm, I think it's important to, to be aware of this stuff. And it really annoys me sometimes that young people buy into the delusion of it. Cause it's like every, as, as we've spoken about, like there is no currency to this social media thing. Like the currency is the connections you make with people, but you're not making connections with people because unless you fit that trending thing, you're not connecting with them anymore. Before we wrapped up, I wanted to highlight the thing we've touched on a few times, that if you want to make something, you need to have something that you either want to say or do. It really is not going to serve you very well to try to just get something from doing um, the repetition of other people's stuff, like you said, the restating of things, or doing the thing where you can find countless number of videos that are like how to get your instagram following really really great so you can make some money and it just tells you these things that are so cookie cutter that are so uh, antithetical to expressing yourself or putting your work or thoughts or philosophies out online and uh so a true success story like yourself the origins of that are from you wanting to share things make things create things and get across your ideas and philosophies yeah, I, I hope that does come across. And thank you for saying that. Um, it has to be, I, I let things fall into place. I don't push things too hard. Like there was an opportunity in the last couple of years that I don't know if you know the backstory of how the creators are continuing their sort of promotion. Cause they, a lot of the people that were on YouTube five years ago have not, um, had the same, 
um, interaction recently in recent years. And what's actually come into play is this new concept, which I didn't even know existed, is that Facebook um, have allowed some agencies to build infrastructure agencies that push out content. So some of the people like Patrick Starr now, I think he was just on a billboard with a particular um agency that's doing this has promoted his content to Facebook in the Facebook sharing algorithm. And that is getting his platform still in circulation on YouTube. So it's that there's agencies now working in that way. And this is a lot of the K-pop structure. It's, it's how K-pop was pushed into American music so successfully because they have a similar agency, um, that pushed this all out. It started about seven, eight years ago. I think Gangnam Style was one of the first success stories of this, um, business model, but it, that thing, no one knows about this at the moment because in the UK, there was a couple of these bloggers and I used to think like, my God, how the, I've met these people at events. They can't do makeup. They're not, not, I'm not being dismissive of them. I would love to have a coffee with them and get, have a drink with them or whatever. Sure. But in terms of what they're doing in content, you wouldn't watch them to learn how to do anything. They wouldn't teach you anything so i was like how did they suddenly get a million people following them and then i discovered what this whole protocol is which is they're with this facebook agency that builds their platform like do you know the woman that reads out horror stories doing the makeup she likes real life like um crime stories i think i heard of her but i've never seen her work Right. So she was an unsuccessful YouTuber. And then she got with this agency that positioned her videos in a square format on Facebook and Facebook built her platform. And now she's got 4 million people on YouTube. And it's like, well, I spoke to them and I said, what, you don't have any trans people on your book. So would you like to do this with some of my new content? And they were like, well, we'll try some of your old content. And I was like, well, no, I don't want you to try some of my old content. Let me do the same content that you're promoting and see if you'll use a trans person. And they were like, well, we've got to do it in this specific way. And I was like, no, what you're saying is you don't have experience of doing it with a trans person and then I won't fit what's worked with these other people because none of them are like me but you're willing to put someone that can't do what I can do in and push their stuff out so after that I was like do you know what what I do is good enough for brands to pay me more than these influencers so I will stick to the route I'm going instead of trying to work to these systems that really are delusional like it's like have you ever seen like people that are like um, rappers that start singing can't sing a note in tune yeah. and then their audience is like yes queen you did it yeah. you did it they're like <laughs> you're like oh my god please this is not the one no and part of that is back to the spotify thing you know there's there, i know there's some folks in the queer community who act like if you don't know what's in the top 40 then you're hopelessly passe or stupid <laughs> or like not cultured but at the same time give them a quiz about anything pre the age they started listening to music don't have a fucking clue and it's like that is not a shortcut you can't just say this is the stuff that's been heavily marketed to me so i and that's how i know it but i can't (laughs) admit that that's how i know it it's that i know what's hip and fresh and i think that is the the scary part to me is when people take on the thing that's just been promoted at them as if that is some kind of cultural awareness now that's not to dismiss the top 40 it's nice to know what's going on but it's also like it, just because you know what the number one movie is doesn't mean that you have any kind of uh, cultural cachet. You just have to know what the number one movie is. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it's that thing of like saying that it's either this or that or like and it, mainly it's the people tying their identity to knowing something that is hot, fresh, whatever, which means heavily marketed. 
Absolutely. Oh my God. That's, you're singing to my heart because this is what I feel. This is what I feel so badly. Like, and you see this so often now because I think Drag Race is like, um, and the drag queens that come out of Drag Race are almost like a reflection of, of the, of the status quo of the moment. And you don't see individuals. Like, I really don't like drag queens. Like, I like the people that do drag that are really interesting people. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, I don't like them because they're drag queens. I like them because the person's really cool. Yeah. Like, the people that I've always wanted to look up to, like, I love Jackie B. I love Daraja. I love Lady Bunny. I love Coco Peru. I love Tammy Brown. Like, not because they do drag. I wouldn't give a damn if they did drag or didn't do drag. I like them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, nowadays, you, you just see this sort of, like, commodified version of what's happening in the world, but without any opinions. And you're like, so you are, oh my God, the one, how many of them have come out of as trans in this last thing have they seen this like move work not that i'm dismissing that they are trans but there's this big hullabaloo surprise i'm trans like with like seven of the cast of this season it's like did you wait till the tv show was on and then you came out as trans or did you like was this some sort of marketing ploy because you knew you get those sixty thousand likes on your picture or whatever it's like this that is so silly like it's like i love all my trans sisters and brave for them for coming out but i think that it's all it's so people are so hot to kind of like jump into those moments and it's like please be authentic to to what you really feel like tell show the warts and all version don't just try and polish it to benefit you because once this season's over let me tell you there's not that many interesting ones on the, the current season of drag race apart from that the little one with the diseases what's the one called willow pill i like that one that one's fabulous i really like that one but it's, I, I saw, oh my God, like it just, ugh, you can't, you can't just do like the only songs you know are the ones that are on top 40 right now. And that's the entire drag race. You look like the, the people that do drag look like these pop stars. They don't look like vintage pop stars. They don't, if you do a different kind of brow, oh my God, you're not doing it polished enough. If you don't wear a lace front, oh my God, you're not polished enough. It's like, oh my God. Especially in a queer space where really, the queer culture is supposed to be and has always been <clears throat> with, you know, problem times like the clone culture and everything where uh, everything <laughs> is supposed to be like, oh, that's what you do. Then great. That's what you do. Wonderful. I thought you were going to say like Barbara Streisand's cloned dogs. <laughs> like, oh, my God, it's. It, they, they're like the dogs uh, but anyway sorry i shouldn't interject no 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 I, i'm happy you brought that up because i think that is part of the queer landscape for sure barbara streisand and her clone <laughs> dogs and the shopping mall she allegedly has in her home oh you know what before we end your delayed intro sometimes it's so delayed it's at the end of the show oh okay okay <laughs> Dear listeners, on this episode, I am delighted to present a genius makeup artist, a former McQueen model, a conscientious entrepreneur and social media pioneer, trans YouTube trailblazer and record breaker, enthusiastic collaborator, and someone who knows that there's room enough for everyone at the table. And, as you'll hear, is every bit as inspiring and lovely as one would ever hope for. So, put your hands somewhere and join me in giving a warm and willing Craig and Friends welcome to the one, the only, the Joseph Harwood. <laughs> Thank you. Oh wow. <laughs> well, and welcome to the show. That's so nice. Thank you for thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for joining. And I so much look forward to, or rather, I so look forward to meeting you in person next month, and uh, you meeting Ada, Ada meeting you, and and meeting your partner as well. 
Oh, he's he's probably going to be hiding somewhere in France in April, but I will come there with with more personality than than you can imagine, so you won't miss him. 